open up your books, you bad apples. An interesting new addition to the podcast, as of the last few episodes, is the outro track. Yeah. Um, the music I thought that you created from the bottom of your heart, and then I learned that you're just an uncreative hack. And honestly, I can't believe I keep getting surprised by learning that. You know what I mean? You think after knowing someone for 23 <laughs> years, you'd kind of pick up, but I'm also kind of a slow learner either way. But I got to say, it sounds, being a bit of a music historian, I would think it was from around the 1920s, <laughs> maybe Portuguese in origin. Am I... Am I go? Am I getting anywhere with this, or? Uh, yeah, you could. Well, I made it all of myself. I oh. worked so hard to download that song, which is Portuguese, and then I mixed it <laughs> and faded it, and then I added. Uh, I don't know. Should well, we reveal GW the backstory? Should, no, yeah, just, we, just no. GW. That's all there is to it. If Maybe, anybody, yeah. if you're listening to this right now. And hey, if you are, thank you. This is the Bad Apple Book Club. I'm Lucas Nord. And I'm Cole Lang. Um, if you're listening to this right now and you listen through the whole outro track and you hear that little snippet at the end, I'm not going to tell you what it is right now, but <laughs> if you if you ask me myself, I might tell you. Subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, that's for our uh, tier, tier three uh, patrons. You got to pay That's for the $25 a month. Yep. Oh, a hundred dollars. You know what? I like the sound of that more actually <laughs> yeah. now that you mentioned. We gotta you... we gotta like expand we gotta expand our visions for the podcast here, okay? We can't twenty-five dollars. That does that can buy, barely buy you a meal these days. So this is what I wanna know. Obviously, we're making a podcast because we listen to podcasts. Um I didn't just Love have them. the idea to talking to a microphone about things. I know this may be a shocker. Well, the podcast, the basic idea did come from Cole, so I can't take credit there. But when you look at the Patreon tier list, everyone has something different. And I think it really shows what some people think they're like. Worth is. You know, <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, I was watching one YouTube video, actually. And I'm not going to say what it was, but... Someone was kickstarting like a YouTube quiz show and they were charging like $3,000 for like, oh, it might, it might not have been that much, but they were charging like $500 to like record your voicemail outro and stuff like that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, $500. $3,000 means that you get to join a Skype call with us and talk about what you want to talk about. Like, oh, all right, uh, easy does it there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't now, know, man. Yeah, I think we got to be on that level as well. <laughs> so, Well, we'll get there. So what I want to ask you is at this point in your life, what do you think you can do without any extra materials that's worth a hundred dollars <laughs> uh let's see here i can post some uh wicked bike wipeouts uh Ooh, yeah a curated I, list of wicked bike wipeouts yeah because i only post the successful uh videos of me and uh oh, the ones that uh don't go oh, so your... well are extremely funny so they're uh, your wicked bike wipeouts yeah yeah man see 
just the idea of falling off a bike brings me back into, I guess I didn't have a childhood of falling off bikes, but I can't imagine I was having a lot of fun doing it. So that's probably why I'll just never touch a bike again. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know if I told you about my big fall earlier this uh, summer, but you have uh, not. Please do. Okay, okay. So we went to a bike park and I haven't really been to many of these bike parks where they have like pump tracks, the whole wooden uh, panels that you can go on. That sounds awesome. Are there ramps? Yeah, but so the problem was, is that there were like little uh, jumps. There's like a bunny jump to practice, right? And then there's a little pump track. Uh, which is easy and hard to wipe out on. And then the rest of it were these huge jumps that were like 20 feet. And uh, it just goes from zero to 100 real fast. And so Ah. I I saw the biggest jump. I love the weekend. The weekend. No, that's Drake. You got to give Drake credit, okay? What? (laughs) So I saw this big jump and it, it was so really intimidating because you can go down it regularly, but you can also jump from this plank that's on top of this tractor. But I, I didn't do that. I was like, this is easy. Like the biggest jump, I'll just take it nice and slow down it and uh, just kind of off, off the end. Well, I start going down the jump and I was like, Oh, I'm going kind of fast. And I was like riding oh. my brakes the whole time. And then like Ooh. I get to the jump itself and then I'm like, okay, this is actually going to be really fast and I'm going to go flying. So like I went flying, dude. I must have got like six feet of air. And then oh. my front side started like going forward and I just kind of threw my bike to the side and hit like pretty much face first into the dirt. And yeah, my shirt was ripped and my pants ripped my favorite pants. It was not. Oh, never go biking in your favorite pants. Well, uh, shorts. And then, yeah, I thought I broke my wrist, but it's just a sprain. So it's okay, but it's still Do really hurt. Go biking in your favorite shorts. Yes. Um, okay, we are going to start talking about <laughs> what the episode is titled, but bikes. Uh, before, yeah, this is the bike episode. <laughs> um, the interesting thing is that you did think to throw the bike off to the side, and that's good because I think the one complete leg up skateboarding has compared to other extreme sports. Is that if you go on a big jump with a skateboard and fall, you just, you know, crush your legs. But if you fall onto a bike, I'm pretty sure that could like rip your whole body in half or you could land on it funny and like twist your back 180 degrees. Uh, I've seen videos. Don't remind me of the horrors, okay? (laughs) The horrors. Hey, speaking of horrors, we're going to be talking about... Some 1900s horror today in the form of an H.P. Lovecraft story called The Call of Cthulhu. Cthulhu, Kalalu, there's multiple ways to say it, but oh, I think I'm just going to stick with Cthulhu. Yeah, he's just like, uh, this looks cool. And you just got to make guttural noises. And yeah, it's... We <laughs> will talk about some of the other words 
when we actually start talking about the story. And there's one of them that has always stuck out in my brain, and it's still like impossible to say. But without further ado, I think it's about time we start talking about it. If uh, if you wouldn't mind giving us a bit of a background on Mr. Howard uh, Peter Lovecraft? Uh, poopy Pants. Howard Poopy Pants. Uh, it is Howard, though. Yeah, Howard it is Phillips. Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Yep. It's two last names, isn't it? Or was that his middle name? Uh, the world may never know. I, yeah, I don't know. It, it's something a nerd would do, and he was a nerd. Uh, uh, okay, take it away. <laughs> all right, so um, before we get like crazy into him, he, he was a racist, a uh, really big yes. racist dude. Like I said, this is just going to be kind of like a roast session. I can already tell. Yeah, like I, I am not a fan of this guy. The story is good, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll learn about his backwards thoughts on some parts of society so yeah yeah uh hp lovecraft he channeled a lot of inspiration from edgar Allan poe one of my favorite storytellers of all time the pit he, and the pendulum the telltale heart the raven yes i would love to cover him uh someday so uh, i'm sure we will yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get into him for sure. And uh, uh, but H.P. Lovecraft, his writings would go on to pretty much inspire horror uh, that we know today because he he was pretty unknown at the time of his life, which is kind of like a good thing because he was a, a terrible person. Uh, but he, he would go on to inspire people like Stephen King, H.R. Geiger, Geiger, H.R. Giger, I believe. Giger. Okay. For those uh, unaware, he's a very well, well, in the right circles, he's a very well-known surrealist painter and he designed the Xenomorph in the 1979 Ridley Scott classic Alien. Yeah, he designed a lot of worlds like that and different paintings that kind of inspired uh, the set of that film and the whole world of Alien, really. Two um, Alien episode or two Alien references in two episodes. I can't get enough. He's uh, a Swiss icon. And there's actually a bar in Switzerland that, or a museum slash bar that is all Whoa. Alien theme. And I want to go there. That is a strange combination of buildings right there. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting sculptures in there. Uh, yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, but it also inspired people like John Carpenter, who created The Thing. and Halloween. Halloween. One of yep. my favorite, per one of my personal favorite movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you think of horror, that's one of the first things that comes to mind is the iconic... Uh, Oh, uh, what's his name? Michael Myers? <laughs> Michael Myers, yeah. I was like, it's the Shrek guy. Uh, Michael Myers, and it also has the, mm, maybe not the greatest. It might be neck and neck. Oh, man, I'm already I'm already in the October spirit talking about all these horror yeah. movies. But the uh, original poster for Halloween is probably neck and neck with the poster for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. They're both just 
incredible. And I would love to have like giant painted prints of them on my walls. Maybe hey, one day. Go for it, man. We're making a lot of money once we set up this Patreon account. So, <laughs> uh, and so he would also inspire the book uh, or the author of the book, Psycho. And that would go on to inspire the iconic film, Psycho, which also, it, like, you can just kind of see how this builds up. Like, Psycho was really known in the 1960s and 50s uh, for being like the iconic horror. Like that's what he thought of as horror. And then it would go on to inspire all these things. So it's, he almost created like a chain of events or like a chain effect to inspire things we know today. It's almost that metaphor of he walked so others could run in a way. You know what I mean? But We'll talk yeah. about the story, and it is still very well written. And yeah. I was getting, I was getting shivers working my way through it the whole way. He's he's got a particular way with words, and I can't really say that I saw any of that influence bleed through when I was reading The Shining or something. But of course, you know, he did plant the seed. Yeah, indeed, he did, and. Well, the seed that made H.P. Lovecraft, uh, he, he, he was born into a well-off family in mm -hmm. 1890. <laughs> 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 uh, so, yeah, the seed uh, of H.P. Lovecraft, he, he came into this world. And, uh, <laughs> but from, his, from the start, his life would be very tragic. His father had syphilis and... One of the like late stages of syphilis, like I don't think it, they really knew it at the time, but you start to have psychotic episodes. And by the time Lovecraft was three, his dad um, was put into a insane asylum and he would go there for another five years or he was there for another five years and he eventually did die in wow. 1898 so yeah he he kind of and hp lovecraft as a kid he kind of had like a sense of a denial like he's like yeah my dad's just kind of away but my he, dad is like james bond and if i knew where he was and his real identity then uh, i would blow his cover so <laughs> yeah he's definitely not in the the insane asylum down the street that's all i know uh <laughs> yep all you need to know really yeah well where is I, I, he's just not there okay yep. uh, his mother and himself moved into his mother's parents house and they were pretty well off they're a well-off family his grandfather uh was like a businessman that did pretty well and he would write hp lovecraft multiple letters during his business trips. And at the age of three, Lovecraft was able to write and read these letters. Like not saying there were these grand letters that had complex words and whatnot, but like he was able to do like, just like basic letters to respond to his grandpa, which is wow. pretty impressive. And uh, just doing this exchange would inspire him to write over 100,000 letters within his lifetime. So he that, that was another thing he was really famous for is like he would just be writing letters like left and right. Not two people, though, or two people? 
Yeah, yeah, two people like uh, oh, the equivalent of having a snap score of a hundred thousand, basically. Cole, uh, <laughs> they didn't have Snapchat back then. How do you adjust for inflation on writing a letter? I have a problem. I have problems with this. Yeah, we need to ditch this whole episode. Uh, that just yep. doesn't make sense. Uh, well, no, we we don't need to ditch the whole episode. We've had a good run making the podcast. Um, yeah, uh, but it ends here. It it does not end here. Got gotcha. you. Well, yeah, you know, you know what, actually. I, I just realized I got nothing going on for the next couple of hours, so I guess we should probably record <laughs> the whole episode. Yeah, don't you want to hear the story of Cthulhu? I and do. Lovecraft. So, yeah, his his grandfather would also read and tell him scary stories, and yes. from like kind of because you got to think like Edgar Allan Poe was, I, I believe, a little bit before this, but the whole like gothic horror was just becoming popular before him. Yeah, his grandfather would tell him like these scary stories, but a lot of them he would make up himself. And despite like his fascination with horror, Lovecraft would have nightmares of what he would call night gaunts that would haunt him throughout his life. So it's basically they were like these winged creatures that he would see or like dream of he'd have like night terrors of these things for the rest of his life so he's like imagine if you're like the biggest fan of like halloween or like the thing and just these alien monsters are coming to haunt you from that movie or michael myers comes to haunt you every night but you just you just can't get away from it you just love horror that much like that's kind of how he i don't know describe it I don't know if I would say that sounds like a love thing. I think it sounds horrifying. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess he was an opportuni- opportunist and like uh, just capitalized on like, oh, crap. Like this is a lot of scary stuff going on in my life. And well, uh, yeah, these aren't going anywhere. So I guess I'll write about it. <laughs> and night gods, people would love these. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I do. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I just imagine Eric Andre coming to him like every night and going nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. And uh, you, you always <laughs> imagine Eric Andre. I love him. He needs to take over the Ellen show. And uh, yeah, hey, we got the ball rolling on cancel Ellen. <laughs> it's gotten uh, maybe like two shares or likes on Instagram, but you know it's going. I started the hashtag. All right, so. His grandfather's business started to fall apart. He eventually died, leaving no support for the family. So this was like their support. Like his mother and H.P. Lovecraft himself depended heavily on like staying with the grandfather and he provided everything for him. So this forced Lovecraft and his mom to live in a small apartment by themselves. And when they did this, they just pretty much acted like they're in quarantine. Like they didn't really go outside and Lovecraft himself would not go outside after sunset. Like he was just that scared of the outside world. Yeah. Him and his mom, they had a very weird relationship where she thought he was like really weird and just kind of grotesque and like nasty. But at the same time, she didn't want him to leave the apartment. So it was like this very, 
I guess, two complete opposites. Yeah, I mean, it's like this love-hate relationship, and it's just kind of a very weird time for them. It sounds like his whole life was a very weird time for him. I, I, I agree. I mean, no one's going out here saying like, oh yeah, Lovecraft was the most normal man I met. No, I mean, he created this very weird world of horror, uh, which Ooh. we'll dive into. And yes. I feel like a lot of it does come from him and his weird upbringing. And it, it, it only gets more weird. And uh, yeah, once we throw in the racism, like it, it just gets even worse. He started to read like a lot of Pulp Fiction novels. And for people that don't know what Pulp Fiction is, it is there are these cheap little booklets of like stories that you could get for very cheap. And they were made out of like pulp, like this uh, super cheap paper. When you hear Pulp Fiction, that that's what it means like it, it was this it was almost like um like a comic books it was like the precursor to like comic books but they were just they're known to be very bland pretty just like not good stories but just enough to like keep you entertained but yeah when pulp fiction that that it's not really a compliment it's like uh it's just kind of like cheap entertainment it's also a very good movie yeah, and I had no idea it had such a background. I, I did not know what Pulp Fiction was until I uh, learned about it uh, researching that I, stuff. So I'd, I'd always heard the term, but I never knew that Pulp referred to the cheap materials they made it with. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So um, he, he's just like reading these endlessly, uh, but at the same time, he was doing it almost as an escape from a very deep depression. His mother was like trying all this stuff to kind of keep him happy. And one of the things that she did, she was like, Hey, Howard, you like chemistry. Remember that? And uh, so she, she bought him a chemistry set, but he lost interest because he's like, Oh, there's too much math in there. Like two plus two. I can't, I can't do that. Like, I just want to see the, the volcano go off and that's it but it involved it was pretty math heavy like chemistry obviously is Ugh. <laughs> so yeah so but also during this time this is where we start getting into his racist views which are very blatant and so he started writing many racist poems and in one oh. he envisioned the white English residents of Providence, Rhode Island, and them being replaced by Irish and Portuguese and Jewish people and basically anything that's not white English. Like uh, in the year of 2000, like he kind of was like thinking of this as a horror movie where America does become the melting pot that it is today, but he was totally against it because He was part of, you know, we've talked about the eugenics movement uh, with crime and punishment a bit, but like he was a full believer of that, where if he was, he he thought like white English people like of Anglo-Saxon descent were like the Aryan race, basically. Uh, And everyone else was just, 
uh, inferior, really. So it, it wasn't just, it, he wasn't like just racist. He was also very anti-Semitic and all these other terrible views. For anybody that knows anything about his racist views, his most popular poem is the uh, controversial writing, and it's called um, On the Creation of the N-Word. And he basically compares black people to beasts. Now, was that actually the original title of the poem? (laughs) Did he refrain from using the N word? I don't. You guys just have to put that one together for yourselves. I mean, Lucas, you can. Uh, wh- what was his cat's name again? Oh, we don't have to get into that. But hey, I will say I'll make it a bit of a riddle. His cat's name was the racial slur that you're thinking of right now. Don't even have to say it. But yeah. that was the name of his cat. And. That's all there is to it. Yeah, it was that word followed with man. So, and it doesn't even roll off the tongue that well. Like, it's just not a good name for a cat at all. No, I always liked whiskers or or like snuzzles is kind of fun. Harry. Harry. If I got a cat, I would probably, I would probably name it something like, yeah, yeah, like like a Harry, my uh, late cat, R.I.P. I hope I he's listening right was, now. Me too. I thought his name was Garfield for some reason. No, 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 no. I named him, so the way I named my pets was I named them after my favorite movies that I was really digging, depending on the week. So during that week, I believe I just saw Harry Potter, the first film, on VHS uh, for the first time. So I was like... Harry and yeah so like I, I got my cat and uh we found him in the woods and then my parents were like we we don't want that cat you're gonna have to ask everyone in the neighborhood uh if it's their cat because they didn't want him and so I went around with my bike and I went up to oh. every door in my neighborhood and I was like is this your cat and then uh everyone said no so we could adopt him oh Yep, it just turned out he was a very feisty cat and very mean, and he was never thankful. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> and then, and then I don't know if I'm revealing too much here, but and, and then he was uh, put down on your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had dementia, and uh, oh. yeah, he had a stroke, uh, so oh, he couldn't like close funny. his eyelids, and then uh, yeah, so then. Uh, <laughs> I hope my dad doesn't mind this, but yeah, I, I get a call on my 20th or it was like my 20th birthday or something. And I'm like, Oh great. It's my dad. He's going to say happy birthday. And he's like, Hey, cool. Just want to let you know we had to put Harry down today. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and not a minute too soon. No. And it's like, Oh, he couldn't have waited a day longer, but <laughs> I, I guess he was in bad, a very bad condition. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. <laughs> Uh, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say the week you got the cat, you watched the movie Harry and the Henderson, starring John Lithgow. What? I don't even think I know what that movie is. It is about a. It's this. If I'm not mistaken, it's this sweet little family comedy where uh, this family adopts a Bigfoot. 
Oh, okay. I okay. Yeah, I can envision that now. Yes, yes, yes. N- uh, no, I'll have to watch that tonight. Now, I heard it's really sure. good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll we'll get back here, <laughs> back back to the Lovecraft uh, universe. Um, but yeah, that was my rant about my cat. R.I.P. But um, R.I.P. so yeah, uh, during this time when he was still locked up with his mom. Uh, <laughs> uh, he also wrote many letters to his favorite Pulp Fiction magazines, criticizing a uh, cliche love that that's what he called it, like a cliche love uh, story that kept on popping up in his favorite Pulp Fiction. Oh, and uh, so at this moment, he's like a Pulp Fiction fanboy. So imagine he's like these angry Star Wars fans that hate all these sequels that just came out. Which I'm included, but I'm not going out of the way to, to destroy their lives. But this was Lovecraft's intention. Like, so he writes to them and he says that the characters are, quote, as dumb as black people, unquote. Wow. And yeah. just just in case uh, the microphone skipped out, Cole did start and end that statement with a quote and an Okay. Yeah, don't take that out of context, <laughs> please. Uh, yeah, that would be that would it would be awful if I took this recording uh, and isolated just that part. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff, if it ever comes back to haunt me, if somebody wants to like destroy my life, they'll just come to this episode and say, like, clip all these parts that uh, Lovecraft yep. said because they are truly <laughs> awful. Uh, so, but I, it is I, also it, uh, being, you know, jokes aside, it is very important to know the background of the man and yeah. his, it would be okay. Now, obviously it wouldn't be a good thing, but it's one thing if, uh, you know, maybe he had a few controversial thoughts in his writings, but no, by the sounds blatant. of it, a, a very large part of his life was just being a horrible racist. Yeah, and, and it really bleeds through in the, his stories, and uh, we'll get into it. But yeah, like yep. he he did not hide it, and, and it's it's just awful. You know, I like the story, but it's one of those things where you have to separate the story from the author as much as you can, and their influence on horror because he was uh, the way he the way he perceived other races and religions is something of a horror movie in itself. Like it's just terrible. So his letters eventually did get the attention of a writer's association where he would eventually become president due to his views on race. Like, yeah, he works up his way up the chain just because he had some very disgusting views and the people, unfortunately within this group loved it. So he put out some works during this time, but his mother eventually became very ill and died in the same insane asylum that his father died in. He was bunking with his mom and then he was forced to live with his two uh, aunts that he describes as very snottish. He's like in his like... uh, late teen years or early 20s i believe and he's being forced to move in with like these just two aunts that he's not a fan of so it's just kind of like this is payback buddy <laughs> like i'm sorry uh-huh. uh but during this time he met a russian jewish girl named sonia 
who he liked <laughs> and not Whoa. from kind and punishment <laughs> okay okay just making sure <laughs> yeah we didn't somehow align the stars and say oh Sonia's connected to crime and punishment and like well a- added this story because of it but there are some strange parallels between all three of our stories so far and um maybe i'll discuss one of them that i noticed later okay yeah yeah hold that thought um but and it's just weird because he was anti-semitic and like this girl was jewish their relationship was very weird because lovecraft himself was just a very weird person she had to like convince him beg him to have any type of intercourse like it, it was like a very it was a challenge to get this man to kiss her or like do anything of that relation and it's just odd because at the same time she's like feeding him a lot of food and he gains like a lot of pounds like he becomes a fat boy during this time as well and good lady <laughs> yeah um but the two eventually become married and the aunts were not about this. Like the whole time he's with this girl, their aunts are just like peering from the window and disapproving of this uh, girl. And they moved to New York city. So that was, it's almost as if he married this girl just out of spite uh, to make his aunts mad. So yeah, in New York city, he started to sell his stories to weird tales. And this is, what many people are familiar with his work because most of his popular stuff was originally featured in this pulp fiction. His wife moved to Cleveland uh, because she became ill and Lovecraft tried to find jobs around town with no success. Shocker, because uh, he hasn't been doing anything his whole life except for read pulp fiction magazines and writing racist stories. Hmm. so yeah, like no one's like you picking him up for Jaws because he has no background in anything. He has no skills. He declined uh, the position of editor of the uh, of the magazine, which would have like made him good money. And, and this was weird tales. Like he he could have been an editor, but he was almost like I'm too good to be an editor. Like he just had this weird. What's that complex called? Uh, Inferiority. Superiority. Superiority. Su- superiority complex. Like Raskolnikov would have. Like he was. He had the same kind of view on life for that. Yeah, he turns this down, even though it would have been. It would have got him out of depression. It would have made him, you know, live a stable life. But it mm. by declining this, he moved into a part of New York called Red Hook. Now, Red Hook is a neighborhood of New York City that was full of immigrants. Like, and this is, I guess, the scariest thing for H.P. Lovecraft. Because he, it's just his views on people and like people of other races like it was a very mixed uh like a blending community of different races and religions and he's like this isn't like providence where everyone was white and christian and from england so like he hated it at one point his apartment was broken into and they stole everything 
<laughs> and he had nothing but like his set of clothes on his body. So like <laughs> nothing but the clothes on his back. Yeah. But his wife was sending him money and which is weird. Usually it's the opposite way around during this time. He started to create the Call of Cthulhu during this time. Or Kalalu, Kahulu, whatever. Um, yeah. But he eventually couldn't support himself anymore. And he started talking to his aunts. He's like, you know, I, I, I married the girl you didn't want me to. But I have nowhere else to stay, so can you please let me live with you again? And this is just, like, not what you want to do or what he would want to do because this is, like, a downgrade for him, obviously. And at his aunt's house, he finished the story of Cthulhu, and he's just kind of like, oh, whatever. And But he showed it to his friends, and one of his friends was, I mentioned it earlier, the author of the book Psycho, which inspired the movie Psycho. And so his Richard friends... Richard Block. Yeah, Richard Block. I can't think of his name. But yeah, so his friends were like super supportive of this story. And they it, it inspired them so much that even that they themselves started to write stories within this world of Cthulhu. And this Cthulhu mythos that we kind of know of today. He he put out like some of his best known work during this time. But despite this, he struggled to make a living and at the towards the end of his life, he was eating cans of expired food, like uh like cans of cat food or whatever, like he he just was barely hanging on. He started to have like really bad stomach pains and it turned out to be stomach cancer, but he just never got it diagnosed. And his friend that created Conan the Barbarian, uh, which was also within his writing circle that was like so excited about Cthulhu, committed suicide and Lovecraft went into a deep depression. So very, very interesting circle of friends apparently with all these well-known franchises to be coming from them it kind of it kind of makes me think of um i heard a story where jack nicholson was like roommates with uh angelica houston from the adams family movies but that was before they were ever famous or anything like that i think it's just kind of strange that apparently people that are destined to be famous have some sort of an aura that attracts them to each other or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this is a case for a lot of creators, um, whether it be music or writing, like you just kind of find your circle and yeah, you just kind of bounce off of each other's ideas. We're music trying to or writing or podcasts or <laughs> some, something like that. We're start, we're, we're still trying to find our, uh, podcasting group but uh right now it's kind of small but that's okay you gotta start somewhere but yeah like and when i say like this guy created conan the barbarian i'm not talking about the arnold uh schwarzenegger film uh they were a bunch of comic books so if anyone was like what he created he was the father of arnold like mm. the arnold no uh he created the comics that inspired uh pretty much all that all that stuff so the his biggest supporters are just kind of falling out of his life so 
and his stomach cancer was becoming unbearable. So he finally checked himself into the hospital, but died five years or five days later on March 15th, 1937. And on his deathbed, he was just wondering if he would ever be remembered as like uh, a horror writer or, but he, he was basically on his deathbed thinking like, damn, I'm just going to be remembered or forgotten really as a trash pulp fiction writer. So he never got to see the success of his stories and not going to lie. I'm not, I, I don't feel much sympathy for like him not seeing his success. Like not only off. is it very appropriate not only is it a very appropriate way to end what sounded to be a horrible life, yeah. but we hear a lot about people who don't um, don't get their shine until after their day has come. You know what I mean? Van yeah. Gogh comes to mind. Oh, yeah. Yep. And, oh, man, I'm going to plug in another travel story, but the Van Gogh Uh-oh. Museum in Amsterdam. Very cool. That's where he is from. But yeah, Van Gogh, he, he, and it's actually interesting you bring him up because this whole idea of like the troubled artist never really existed until Van Gogh. And I mean, this is the same thing or I don't know. I don't think Van Gogh had the same views on race and everything, but H.P. Lovecraft was obviously a starving artist. He was eating like cans of beans, like just to stay alive, like. Was the original Starry Night there? I don't think so. I think that is in the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. I think. I love that one. Every other painting that is famous seems to be in there. Like all of his self-portrait ones are there. And and like his, uh, a lot of his, like um, one of my favorite ones was like a skull smoking a cigarette. That one was really cool. Yeah, and then, dude. <laughs> uh, and then I also was inspired. He has like this painting called Cherry Blossoms that I actually got like a big print out of. And it's like on my wall and it's like a, a tapestry. Like it's a big tapestry right, right behind me, actually, right now. But I think cool. it's a very nice painting. But yeah, so like uh van gogh he he died and his works weren't really known but remember that circle of friends he had like that oh, yeah. were cheering him on well one of his writer friends august derleth tried to he he spent the rest of his life trying to sell lovecraft's work and make it popular because he's like this stuff's pretty cool like it, it's the next generation of horror and eventually it did become popular his hard work of peddling these stories did work and many started to call him the successor of edgar Allan poe and created like credited him as the inspiration for the next generation of horror that we know so well today huh yeah so that that was uh we just had to like go into his life and like dissect it because it is a very interesting life a very hateful driven and tragic like it is just makes you wonder how much that bleeds through and how it inspired his works 
So yeah, that's the life of him. But yeah, we have the whole story to get into. Are, are you ready to dive into the mythos of Call of Cthulhu, Lucas? Am I ever? Okay, cool. So one thing that's cool about this story is that it is this insignificance of humanity. Like Lovecraft really wanted to dial that in and just like on the grand scheme of things, like the earth is just like a blip in existence kind of thing. And with Cthulhu, he really wanted to uh, explore that. Not saying like it hasn't been explored. I mean, we have all the stories of God kind of striking down on humans in the Bible, but he was one of the first people to be like, what if a monster was to do this to people? So the story starts out like a found footage film, kind of like a Cloverfield or a Blair Witch Project. Uh, do you have any other examples? Um, I'm a fan of the, I believe, 1990 French film Man Bites Dog. Um, Paranormal Activity is a very okay. popular yep. found footage movie. That that's probably the first horror found footage movie that inter- really introduced me to it. it it's oh. kind of it really had a huge impact. I mean, it's uh, inspired pretty much all the horror that like The Conjuring and all those other movies, whether you like them or not. Another great one is the Spanish film Wreck from two thousand seven. That's a very okay. Good one. Very scary. Check that one out. They remade it into quarantine. Oh, very appropriate, actually. Oh, okay. Topical. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like it, it's kind of written out in that way, like these movies would be. Like somebody finds these notes and they come from the late Francis Wayland Thurston, who is our narrator throughout this whole story. And, and the story is like a collection of notes. And we're going to see that Lovecraft was not only imaginative with his cosmic horror ideas, but also very imaginative with coming up with names. Yeah, Francis Wayland Thurston. That is complex. And well, the writing style of this is, uh, I I feel like it's him trying to uh, almost intimidate people that aren't writing or don't read as much because it is confusing and he goes on tangents that are just confusing but yep. I, I just feel like he's that way where he's just like I'm smarter than you like just weird and he kind of displays that in his writing but that's why we're breaking it down for you guys because <laughs> that's our podcast but it is yeah so and you're listening to it right now <laughs> yeah uh, the uh, So Francis, our narrator, he starts explaining kind of what I was talking about earlier, like how insignificant humans are and how our lack of knowledge of some subjects might be for the better. So it's like, yeah, there's secrets of the universe, but maybe it's best if we don't know them. So he announces that he has discovered his great uncle's notes. Since he has been trying to piece together his uncle's findings, he doesn't think he has much longer to live. So it's just kind of like, well, why why would he think that way? 
it, it's just a very dark way to start off the story. And, but yeah, it, it just kind of gets confusing. Like it, in the very beginning, it's like, oh yeah, you're reading these notes and then you find these great uncle's notes and it just kind of recalls all these events. But so he recalls his life or the life of his uncle and his work at multiple museums and his death. He, during his death, he was pushed down a hill by a quote, nautical black man uh Mm. just like a sailor who just so happened to be a black dude like he's just pushed down a hill by this black dude could have probably just said pushed down a hill by a man yep but we'll come to see that almost every villain in this is uh of color with uh especially cthulhu being (laughs) that he's green yeah he hated green people. Yeah, he uh, did. <laughs> so, I mean, the whole like being pushed down a hill by a person to their death is very weird. And uh, the, <laughs> so the narrator's like, well, what the hell's going on here? And we'll see that continuously that people just kind of a lot of strange events happen with these people. And so we learned that the narrator is the the um, inheritance of his uncle's property. And as he's going through his uncle's belongings, he discovers a peculiar box. Ooh, very interesting. And Hmm. he unlocks it with the key his uncle always carries on him. So yeah, he's just like, (laughs) he rips it off his uncle and he's like, aha, this is what it must be for because it's just that much of a weird uh, box. And inside, he discovers a bas-relief, and I didn't really know what that was, so I had to Google it, but um, I don't know if you recall this, Lucas, but back during the Skyrim teaser trailer, there was like this huge wall and sculptures of dragons kind of chiseled within this wall, and... Uh, of course, he had like the Fusorda at the end and like uh, the music of Skyrim, but that that's a bar relief. I don't know if you remember that. Even after your explanation, I'm still very confused. It's part of the stone wall or it is the okay. stone wall? Okay, so like you ever see uh, like this vertical slab of like a wall or like a stone or whatever, and it's chiseled out. And, like, it it would usually depict, like, a huge, like, maybe a battle scene, like, in Skyrim, like, of, like, uh, dragons or, like, um, it's just, imagine, like, a huge wall with uh, with sculptures chiseled out, basically, into this wall to make an art piece. Well, now, I mean, I guess I can say, now that I know what it means, my favorite bas-relief Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And if you haven't been there already, uh, what are you doing with your life? (laughs) Yeah. It is gorgeous. South Dakota. Dakota. Actually, I really do love the uh, Black Hills. Gorgeous. It it is just a very interesting scenery out there. Like, there's nothing like it that I've seen so far. I went there once. It's very unique. It's like the Wild West. See, I don't want to get too off track here, but it's just so crazy that the mountains naturally took that shape over time and it just turned <laughs> out to look like 
you know, whoever those old guys were. I can't remember who, who they were now that, you know, I'm talking about it, but I don't even know who they are. Yeah, and same with uh, Crazy Horse. Like, the, the, the way the wind has sculpted that uh, monument and it's kind of looked the same for the past 10 years, but that just kind of goes to show that it takes some time for nature to make these monuments. So. The only the only face on Mount Rushmore I can actually nail down for sure is that old grandma all the way on the left with like the powdered <laughs> wig. Uh, I don't I know her name though. You disrespect George Washington like that. <laughs> oh, that's who that is. That's yes, yes, it was the style at the time. <laughs> bar relief, bar relief, exactly. So, yeah, in in this. Uh, like this box he finds this bas relief and it's made of clay and it has like these bizarre slashes and like ramblings he describes it as like a modern work of art but it gives off some like really spooky vibes the most obscure thing on it is a monster that is a combination of an octopus a dragon and a human uh so it basically has like this body of um well like the head of an octopus the body of like a human dragon thing and then it has like these really tiny wings in the back and it has like this grotesque and scaly body like it's just really gross if i may say to head of an octopus could almost more be referred to as it has like an octopus for a head because it's also got a bunch of tentacles sticking out of that thing yeah yeah i mean i guess like the head of an octopus wouldn't really make sense like it is literally an octopus placed on top of a body but yeah so it's almost like a davy jones like or a kraken like creature um he i remember lovecraft actually got much inspiration from the Kraken itself to create Cthulhu. Cool. Also in the box is a manuscript titled Cthulhu Cult. And it was printed so finely, he describes, that it was almost as if like somebody was watching him and making sure it's like as fine as it can be. So one of the manuscripts describes the artist who made the sculpture, and it's a young art student. And he always has like these really weird dreams ever since he was a child. And the townspeople have labeled him as queer, more than likely just he he was a weird guy, like a weird artist. The artist came to the professor, uh, who was the narrator's uncle, to inquire about the strange markings on his art. And he goes on to explain a dream he had uh, after an earthquake, which will come back into play later. But in this dream, he saw a, quote, Cyclopean cities of Titan blocks and sky-flung monoliths, all dripping with green ooze. So it's like this gigantic, like, city that would belong in like ancient Greece or like before ancient Greece. And like, there's just these giant monoliths, like these huge uh, structures that are like the Washington monument. <laughs> like just imagine a hundred Washington monuments in this city. All dripping with green <laughs> ooze. And see, I wanted to say too, 
that even even though we're still so early into the story, the mystery, uh, the the mystery of it and the writing just I I think it's really cool. I just love the the mental imagery of this dark, dank place. Yeah. You and, know, and not even located on Earth or maybe located on Earth. I guess we'll see. Yeah, and it it's kind of interesting because like you don't there is uh art of Cthulhu and whatnot, but there's never been like a movie. So like I'm just like going all out creating this world in my mind. And it's like very yeah, it's a very interesting scenery. And now, yeah, like like you said, uh even towards the beginning, like it's a very mysterious like uh approach to this story. A good pop culture place to watch something with Cthulhu in it is the Super Best Friends episodes of South Park. I think they were from 2010. Uh, Cartman brings Cthulhu to life from the deep. And you said something about how there isn't a movie about Cthulhu, but I will throw a shout out to a few HP Lovecraft, um, HP Lovecraft movies. There was this guy in the 80s named Stuart Gordon, 80s and 90s, I suppose, who made a Lovecraft trilogy from the works. And they deviate quite a bit from the original stories, but he directed uh, movies out of H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator, The Outside, or From Beyond, and Castle Freak. Huh, that's really cool. Oh, I I said The Outsider, as the second movie there, but that's actually the original title of the story. The book that or, the movie yeah. that the movie Castle Freak is based on. And that movie is from 1994. All three of the movies star Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton. And let me just say, Castle Freak is very disturbing. Maybe you want to throw it into your uh Watch list for October, my dear listener. Or Cole. I don't yeah. care. Don't yeah. watch it at all. I, it doesn't make I'll any difference it. to me. Sure, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. 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 That that sounds really interesting. And and uh of course it's inspired many video games uh and other things. Like the world of Cthulhu is huge and just Lovecraft horror in general, really. I immediately think of a very popular as of seven or eight years ago, game on the computer called The Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Where someone I'd... had actually made a story based on it. Ooh, that's awesome. Really shows how much he, even a hundred years later, really inspires horror today. So yeah, like you have this very visual um, city of this, where we can guess that this Cthulhu being comes from and just gotta say i think this cthulhu guy really loved america if he really uh put all these like washington monuments everywhere like he was probably a very patriotic person or being i don't know i don't know but yeah yeah, i wouldn't exactly call him a human uh no no not at all (laughs) um he couldn't be a citizen here sorry and also there's a voice that he describes it's a voice that wasn't a voice. So it's almost like, I don't know, like the sound in your brain coming from this city almost like this 
thing being projected uh, and it's bellowing Cthulhu from underground this city. So very interesting scenery here. Um, Awesome. Yeah. And the professor tells him to just uh, he's like okay this is like awesome like just keep on recording these dreams this is very (laughs) weird (laughs) 100 washington monuments that's insane yes 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 yes. (laughs) (laughs) tell me more Um, yes but uh, so instead of like uh treating this kid because he is like pretty disturbed he's like yeah just write down your dreams and we'll talk about them which i guess might be therapy but i felt like he needed more than this Maybe. Uh, but eventually the student goes into a delirium after having a dream of a quote miles high gigantic being touching him which who knows who that could be maybe it's our boy cthulhu i don't know well, see, does Cthulhu have, like, one giant, super skinny fingernail? How is he touching <laughs> this guy without turning him into a little mosquito? Uh, well, well, we'll get into it, but, I mean, it, it was just a dream, but yes, exactly. Like, this would be a being that um, would just, like, completely wreck you, like, if it, if it just barely touched you. So during the time period that the sculptor was having these dreams, the professor was also recording other people's dreams. And he finds out that people were having the same dream of this big city with the structures, Cthulhu and what, what have you. But it was mostly artists. So it's almost like this being is sending out this almost like this email and in it uh, and it's being transferred to your brain. And in it is like this video of like this big city and uh, it's like haunting these people. I immediately hear this and I think of the inspiration for the Wes Craven 1984 classic Nightmare on Elm Street, which was originally based on, it was originally based on a true story about a village full of people that were afraid to go to sleep, and then they all just went to sleep and died. Oh my god. That's that, what I immediately for, think of. That was true, like a true happening? IRL. Event. That reminds me, um, gonna bring out my travel story again, but I went to Strasbourg, and all it's where the dancing plague happened, where like all uh, these familiar. Pe- yeah, like these people just started dancing and they couldn't stop and they did this for days on end and yeah, they eventually just died. Like I dropped dead. Yeah, so that that was a uh, very interesting and it's it's like the same ma- mania is happening like that dream or like this dance. Like it's just infecting people in this city. And we'll see it might be worldwide. So one man he he dies from screaming for months on end after like uh, having these dreams. Like he has the dreams and he's just screaming until his death. A very crazy way to go out. Yeah, um, that sounds awful. Yeah, that sounds and, awful for all parties involved. Actually, yeah, anyone that has. To, I think there's a conspiracy <laughs> here. I think his family <laughs> killed him because they're tired of him screaming. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so he also discovers that the mania has swept the world during this time, including reports of a theosophist cult, which if you guys don't know, this was one of the, I guess you could say, original cults that we kind of think of today, like a Charles Manson or whatever, but is headed up by this lady named Helena Blavatsky. Uh, and Lucas, you, you could probably describe it more possibly. Madame Helena Blavatsky is one of the um, one of the forerunners in modern occult thought going way, way back. Couldn't tell you when she lived or when she died, but what I can tell you for sure is that uh, if you're interested in anything, particularly occult, you've probably heard her name once or twice. Yeah, yep. Um, yeah, there, there was like this cult and they were all in white robes waiting for some type of fulfillment. And like, I'm pretty sure they're just like on this edge of a cliff or something. But yeah, like they're just like chilling out there, almost like uh, if you ever seen the show The Leftovers, the Guilty Remnants uh, called like all in white and just not speaking or anything. Which, have you seen that yet, Luke? I've heard a lot of good things about it, but um, it's just another in a long list of things that I would like to watch. But yeah. instead of watching new TV shows, I just watch Roseanne over and over again. <laughs> Uh, still have to give that one a try. I still mm, haven't seen it. It's uh, my favorite. Nice. But yeah, so along with this cult, there has been like a worldwide increase in suicides and just overall chaos in the world. Like these just weird instances. And it just so happens to align when these people are dreaming and with this earthquake that we mentioned earlier that kind of seemed to trigger these events the professor goes on to explain uh why he is so interested in these dreams and the other man manuscripts so he has like multiple manuscripts on this stuff and in this manuscript he says he had seen the world or, or the word cthulhu before so he's like this isn't my first time but first we have to go back in time to learn about this word cthulhu so like the professor already knew about this cthulhu cult uh and we just learned that as the reader through this manuscript that we are gonna get into now the professor writes that he was at an american archaeological society meeting in new orleans 17 years before um, Sounds like a bit of a snore fest. <laughs> I don't. Uh, what do they do? Do they just all like bring like uh, shovels and like just start digging around New Orleans? I I yeah. found this interesting rock in my backyard today. <laughs> look it's almost skull shaped when you look at it from an interesting <laughs> angle. Now it's all about the angle and the lighting. If you turn the lights yeah, down real low, <laughs> yeah. Now this. Uh, yeah, it's just very spooky. <laughs> <laughs> very spooky, right? Yeah, yeah, very uh, Cthulhu. Yes, Cthulhu. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's talking about this archaeological convention in New Orleans, and he's like, "Yeah, I was there 17 years before," and uh, 
there there's a police officer that attended the meeting and he just shows up with this quote grotesque repulsive very ancient statuette whose origin he was at a loss to determine so he's just like showing up to this meeting and he's like guys i found this and it's really creeping me out can you help me uh figure out what this is is this the place I would bring this weird, slimy <laughs> statue to? Or Now, I couldn't tell if archaeological society was uh, the same as the <laughs> geographic society down the street, but that's but where I just, they... <laughs> I, just, I just couldn't find the right building. Yeah. Now, oh, tell me, archaeological uh, people, are, is geology and archaeology the same thing? <laughs> I'm just a cop. I'm just a cop. I don't know. Uh, I'm just a simple cop in New Orleans. (laughs) (laughs) He explains that he got it during a raid on a voodoo meeting. Yeah, he is like completely blindsided by the amount of interest that this statue of Cthulhu is getting. He's like, what is this boys? And like all these archaeologists, like archaeologists just like surround him and they're like, what the hell is that? And one professor steps out and he's like, now I saw this 48 years ago in Greenland and a cult was uh, doing human sacrifices and danced around a bas-relief of Cthulhu. And it's just like these weird instances where it just sounds almost fake, where like they're just pulling stuff out of nowhere. (laughs) Surprised, the police detective compares the similarities of a chant they heard um, that was also in uh, Greenland. So uh, I'm going to try my best to do this chant, but it is so weird. But yeah, they're Why just. Why not? Yeah, okay, okay, okay. So this is how it's written out. It's like. Fungloi maguan of Cthulhu Rila Waga Anaga Fukaga, and not bad. Yeah, I don't know. That was my first take, but like, so the police detective is listening to this guy who went to Greenland forty-eight years ago, trying to uh, recreate what he heard as the chant, and. I, so he's like, and the Still police clear in the memory. Yeah. And the police detective is like, that is exactly what this cult was talking about. Like, so. Or that, that immediately makes me think that he's getting ready to rehearse the chant and then he makes a bunch of guttural noises and everyone's like, interesting, interesting. Like, no, 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 no. I just had to clear my throat before. Uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, he's like, uh, I got part of that fish soup stuck in my throat, and y'all yeah. just uh, the police officers just started staring at me like I was yelling out some chant I heard in Greenland, and then I fell and died. Goodness gracious, <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, but yeah, so the police officer is just like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I heard. And then so the, obviously the crowd at this meeting is like just bombarding the police officer with questions. Oh, yeah. And uh, so the, they're like, what happened at the voodoo raid you did? And he explains that a squatter community had just straight up vanished out of the night. 
so during this time, there was, quote, a malevolent tom-tom that started beating in the black haunted woods where no one ventured. There were insane shouts, harrowing screams, soul-chilling chants, and dancing devil flames, unquote. Sounds so, like a good time. Yeah, except for they straight up... Uh, uh, the squatting community disappeared, so that's pretty sad. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like a pretty fun time going on back there. The police officer and 20 other men decide to investigate the woods filled with, quote, hanging nooses of Spanish moss. And if you don't know what Spanish moss is, it's like the uh, vegetation that grows from trees that you see in plantations, like think of like Forrest Gump, oh, like going down that long, narrow driveway uh, with those big old trees. Cool. Um, it's actually really funny because when I first got to Charleston, I was like, uh, South Carolina, I was like, what, what the heck are all these tree uh, things on these trees? And one of the guys that lived there his whole life is like, you've never seen Spanish moss before. And I was like, no, I'm from Minnesota. Like you don't see that stuff. Um, Spanish. But, yeah. <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> the only oh. thing I know is uh Norwegian, <laughs> Norwegian yeah. moss. Uh, but yeah, so like, uh, Spanish moss. I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent, but it's actually interesting because it, it's like an air plant, meaning that it just kind of chills in the elbows of these trees and they'll um, like dry out. And then when it rains, it becomes flush again. But Henry Ford actually used Spanish moss in uh, the first Model T Fords in the seat cushions. Uh, but it turned out to be really bad because uh, they would rot and they're full of bugs. So yeah. you'd have bugs back, crawling up your butt. <laughs> back before you actually ever tested anything, you're like, yeah, this stuff is kind of soft. Put it in 10,000 cars and ship them out. <laughs> uh, Businessman. <laughs> yep. yeah, it's so like this stuff grows on trees. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> The cushion that grows on trees, the Henry Ford. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was really cool how he called it hanging nooses of Spanish moss as they are yeah. going into this forest. Love but the yeah, imagery. so they set out in two carriages and an automobile with a shivering squatter as the guide. This is like one of the few squatters that survived like just straight up disappearing from this place so they're wow. gonna go investigate these woods and that's where we're gonna pick up in uh part two that is where we're going to leave off with probably the goofiest episode of the podcast <laughs> up to this point if i had to guess yeah but fun uh yes a lot of yeah fun. yeah really um, i I love talking about horror movies, so I couldn't help myself but shoehorn it in. Yeah, honestly, um, that, that they're, uh, they're, very exciting for, to get into this horror stuff. It's yes, this is kind of like a pre precursor to uh, more Halloween stuff that'll be coming soon. Mm, yes, sir, it is. So, but yeah, that's part one. And um, what 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 are your thoughts on part one? We kind of cut it at like a weird 
time, but it's just because we want to. We don't want this to be a four-hour episode. <laughs> so, oh, I mean, hey, speak for yourself, pal. Um, <laughs> the, the the story is obviously separated into parts for. Well, I don't know about for a reason, but I always like to look at that as a good way or a good time to actually set something down and then come back to it later because maybe it's um, split off so that you put some thought into the thing you just read compared to how, you know, back in the day, I even remember watching um, Breaking Bad week to week when it was coming out. Now people watch that show in a week. You know what yeah. I mean? Just start at Monday and you're done on Friday. Like there goes, you know, 60 hours of my life into watching one show so quickly. You don't even give it a second to breathe and you don't uh, get to sit there week to week thinking, now what's going to happen after this? No, you just hit the play button on Netflix and it's right before your very eyes. Time well wasted, I'd say, though. Yes, sirree. Yeah, yeah. Um. Same with this story. Uh, it is kind of difficult to read, in my opinion, and kind of hard to uh, break down what's going on. But like, once like I actually realize what's going on, like the imagery and the horror aspects, and just kind of this big buildup is really interesting. And he does it very well. Um, but it just sucks that he is a blatant racist. So <laughs> yeah, once again, um, I won't give it a pass, but since he's been dead for like a thousand years, then I don't feel too bad. Uh, no reading this kind of stuff or finding or having an immense interest in it. Like I said, the, the use of description stuff just kind of sends shivers down my, down my spine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, the, Hanging nooses of Spanish moss. That is probably one of many similes or metaphors that he uses to describe stuff in here. Um, but but a lot of it, he does it in a very confusing manner. Uh, but yeah, once you break it down, it's really interesting. And you can see like these different elements of horror come in, into play with uh, stuff we watch today and you know, within the 19th century. So yeah, it's, uh, I really enjoyed doing this episode and breaking down this story. I did too. It's been a lot of fun. Um, if you didn't have anything else to throw out there, I'll kindly ask anyone listening to this to go ahead and follow us over on the Instagram at the bad apple book club. We, try to post things sometimes <laughs> and it's just very exciting i've been having a i've been having a fun time with the podcast so far and i think everyone listening to it should be having a fun time too <laughs> yeah if you're not having fun um maybe just listen to it again i don't know <laughs> if you're not having fun put it on repeat and mute your phone uh yes yeah that's a perfect way no n don't do that <laughs> oh we got some good content here yeah uh, we do that we're breaking down so but yeah uh th thank you guys for listening as always um as we're <laughs> over halfway through 2020 uh oh man Just the other day. it's like hp lovecraft has written it but just the other day, 
uh, I don't want to get too topical here, but just the other day I was thinking of a friend's birthday and I was like, man, it's a real bummer. We didn't get to do anything for his birthday a few weeks ago. It was back in March. <laughs> I was it's, like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. It's almost September. Yep. Oh, oh man. man. It's like that meme where it's like June whatever, or May something closes your eyes, open it. And then it's like August 20th. Like it's really funny. Yeah. Let's just, let's just get this baloney over with already. That's what I say. <laughs> I know it's a bit controversial, but yeah. I want to go get a gross drink at a bar and a half warmed up chicken sandwich. I mean, am I really asking so much? It's it's those simple things in life, and hopefully by uh, listening in, we can uh, maybe introduce you to a new form of entertainment, uh, or if you're already familiar with podcasts, maybe this can be a source of entertainment for you, and if it is, I guess we're doing our job that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, working so hard for, so. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and with that, I'm not, I'm not sure if you had anything else to throw in there, but, um, nope. okay, well, I just wanted to wish everyone a nice evening. Yeah. Have a beautiful night. And remember to ride slow unless you got somewhere to go. Trouble with that podcast, you call me. Of course. You know. Oh yeah. I can always do nothing with it. <laughs>